First, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season, so please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Semester 5, Episode 9 of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the higher ed landscape. I'm Alicia, College Admissions Counselor at IvyWise and former Assistant Director of Admissions at Duke University. And joining me today are my friends and fellow IvyWise counselors, Danielle, who is a former Director of Deferred Enrollment at Warden MBA, and Kim, a former Associate Director of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. In this episode, we're going to share the most common mistakes we see in college applications, as well as share some general do's and don'ts. Nice. So I'm happy to chat with everyone today. And I feel like the most natural place to start is academics. Um, That's the heart and soul of your application to um, competitive colleges across the country. And I feel like the biggest thing I would say is an important do for students is maintaining rigor throughout all four years. I know at the end of your junior year, Uh, You may be feeling a bit exhausted and um, you may not want to take rigor in all five of the main uh, subject areas, which are um, a language, English or writing, a science, social studies and a math course. But when you're applying to these very competitive colleges and universities, they really will look for you to maintain rigor across all four years. So even if your high school only requires you to take three years of math or two years of language, it's a really big do to maintain that rigor throughout all four years. Absolutely, Danielle. I think that's a really good point. And I think sometimes students, like you said, can kind of feel like, oh, you know, um, it's my time to relax a little, but really it's the opposite. So I would definitely say, you know, as much as possible to maintain the rigor, like Danielle said, but also to maintain the subject. So some folks will say, well, I'm doing four years of a language, but my last year is a new language first year. And I, I usually steer students away from that. The other thing I will recommend to you all is to consider a study hall. Um, let's say you're taking those five core areas in an AP, IB, or dual enrollment level. It's not a bad idea to add in a study hall potentially, and you could even get some college applications done there. So definitely take that advice and do what you need to do to maintain your mental health and be be well. But I think ultimately it's not a time to relax <laughs> as much as I would love to say, please relax. <laughs> Along the same lines with academics, you know, thinking about grades and maintaining that academic excellence, you know, all the way through your senior year or your final final year of secondary school, um, you know, colleges do look at at grades during that that senior year, and so it's really important, especially if you're applying somewhere, early decision, early action, that you are sharing. Um, you know, a first quarter grade report or a progress report of some type. And most colleges that have those early deadlines will reach out to your counselors directly to get those grades because they want to see that you maintain, you know, again, those excellent grades all the way through your entire um, your entire senior year. And so, um, you know, just like you wouldn't want to slack with your rigor, same goes for your academic achievement. Um, and it's always good to give the admissions officers an update on how you're doing in different courses, especially ones that might 
you know, play into your admissions um, process. So, you know, if you're an engineering applicant and maybe you didn't do as well as you wanted to do in pre-calculus in your junior year, and now you're in calculus in your senior year, you know, letting your admissions office or admissions counselor know, you know, at the school that you applied to early that, you know, Hey, I just got my progress report back. And even if it's, you know, informally letting them know that you got, that you have a good grade, that's always nice for them to see, but an official grade report from those counselors will, will be good for you to send, make sure that that's sent in at some point as well. Yeah. I have a question for you both uh, along the lines of a don't within academics. How do you feel when you see students that, use the optional essay to explain a poor grade in a subject. Um, I'm always on the fence about that. If it's an actual extenuating circumstance, it makes sense. But so many times I read essays and like these long explanations around why someone got a C or a D in a subject and you just walk away feeling like, okay, they're not really owning um, the situation, they may be placing blame on teachers or counselors, but I'm interested in hearing both of your uh, perspectives on that. Yeah, that's a really good question, Danielle. And I think I tend to agree with you. I feel like this might be a good opportunity for you to use, utilize your advisors, IDYs, counselors, anyone that you're working with to kind of ask them, like, is this something that I should elaborate on? Or like Danielle said, is something I should just own and either not mention it or just say, I had a rough semester and this is what happened. It's unlike me, but I'm working harder to, 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 you know, not have that happen again. But yeah, I definitely feel like it can leave a bad taste in the mouth of an admissions officer if you are placing blame on the teacher. Um, or if, you know, I think especially admissions officers have a wide view into this, this world. And so if you're the only one that had a bad grade and then you're saying it's the teacher's fault, that's really hard for us to square up, right? So I would definitely be mindful of those types of things. And um, yeah, like Danielle said, if there's extenuating circumstances, certainly bring them up. And if there's something else that you want to own personally, that's okay too, but definitely don't over-elaborate either. I think that that can come across poorly. Um, and I think it also depends when it happened. I don't know how you all feel, but if it happened in ninth grade, I'm like, well, it was an adjustment period. I don't necessarily yeah. need you to tell me that. Um, but if it's very recent and similar to what Alicia said, if it's related to engineering or something that you want to study, then maybe it would be helpful. I think it really depends on each of the circumstances. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Kim. I don't think I have anything else to add there. I think that next we were going to talk about along the same lines, um, testing and test reporting. And, you know, what are the most common mistakes we see with that? I mean, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen the college admissions landscape totally change with the introduction of test optional at a lot of colleges that didn't used to have test optional admissions. Um, and so that's totally changed you know, how students, you know, apply to colleges, um, where they apply and the decision on whether to submit or to not submit, you know, any kind yeah. of standardized testing. I think that's created a lot of pressure. Don't you feel like Alicia? Like, I feel like students are always asking me, do I submit or not? I don't know yeah. if you guys around that. Yeah, I feel like my general my general rule is, you know, look at middle 50% for the most recently admitted class. And if you're falling in the middle 50, then you can feel pretty safe submitting. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, I feel the same there way. Some other circumstances, right? Like we're going to look at transcripts and, you know, really try to give the best advice that we can with all of the academic information and whether we think that it makes the most sense to submit or not. Um and of course, and there are some schools that report 
the breakdown middle 50% for, you know, evidence-based reading and writing mm-hmm. and math and some that don't. And so it's just, it's all based on the information that we can find, I think. Um, yeah. yeah what do you guys- and I think the issue is too, you, you hit the nail on the head where the transcript and the testing used to play nicely together where if there was a hole in the transcript in the committee room we would go look at the testing and see okay is this an area that's actually a red flag or does the testing show us we shouldn't worry too much about the quantitative preparation for the student or or vice versa where you know maybe the transcript is really strong and the testing is softer but if the transcript has tons of rigor we, we felt more comfortable with admitting a student I think the tough part with um, schools being test optional now is if you have holes throughout your transcript and your testing is also weak, when you choose not to submit your testing, then um, it's nothing to reassure the admissions officers that you could be a good fit for the school. And I guess if both of those pieces are weak, maybe that's not the best school for you. Maybe a school with different, you know, middle 50% ranges for both GPA and testing is a better fit. But I think that's something that um, I work closely with some of my students within Ivy Wise on around what story is your academics telling right now with the information we're submitting and what are going to be the questions that admissions officers have if you choose not to submit your testing. Yeah, I think that's right. That's exactly right. And I think it's really stressful that that that, <laughs> that conversation you just had with yourself, Danielle, with that you have with your students can feel really stressful. And so I think what I would try to implore you all to do that are listening is to really take a step back. I think what Danielle said is great. Like, maybe this is, it's okay to apply to reach schools. In fact, we always encourage that, but maybe not every single one of your colleges on your list should be a reach, right? Mm-hmm. You need to be confident in some of them that you feel really good. And that's something that we do at Ivy Wise, make sure that we're, you know, we're trying to make sure that you have a balanced list. Um, and one of the things on this subject that I wanted to just um, mention is I, I feel sometimes so, so much for my students who are spending the first semester of senior year testing after testing after testing. And I'm just curious what you all say to your students when they're just they're just aiming, either they already have a decent score or a pretty good score, but they're really aiming for that 1600 or 36. And I just want them to feel like it's okay to stop testing. And I know that that's a, it's just a stressful part of the application. I don't know if you guys have any tips around that. I feel like when it comes to like getting your foot in the door, like, Yes, they're getting your foot into the conversation, I guess, you know, in the admissions committee, you know, yes, having a strong, you know, strong academic preparation, you know, the combination of a strong transcript with excellent rigor, excellent achievement, and strong testing does kind of get you into the conversation, but it's not what moves your application from competitive to compelling. So, you know, your application with a 35 ACT versus your application with a 36 ACT isn't going to be something that moves you into being a student that admissions, you know, offices are going to be excited about admitting because you're not, you know, yes, you're bringing your score with you to wherever you end up, but really that's not what colleges are trying to get a sense of. They just want to know, are you academically prepared? And if the answer to that question is yes, then it's everything else that comes into play. And so I just encourage students to, you know, if you're, again, if you're like, if you're within the middle 50% and you already have a super strong score, um, you really should focus on your other parts of the application and just not, not over test so many times. Yeah. I yeah. Love that. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. Like <laughs> one point is not going to make the difference. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And I guess the other flip side to it, I do, I would mention is do consider how you're prepping for the test. Um, some of the students that I've initially started working with here, they've mentioned hitting a wall in terms of testing. And then I asked them like, what have you done differently to prepare? And if they are still doing self-prep or working with a, a family friend who possibly scored high 10 years ago, um, but that's it. Then I mentioned to them that maybe looking into professional test prep services, like some of the ones offered here to Ivy Wise is a good idea because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing multiple times and expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. So if you're prepping the same exact way all these times, then maybe it's time to um, shake things up and try to go for professional help within the test prep services. Now, if you do that and you're still hitting that wall, then yeah, it's time to stop the testing because the score you're getting now is probably the score that you're going to get uh, the next few times. But I've seen some great gains um, with even just a small amount of um, help within like professional test prep resources as well. So that's just one other do I'll mention. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a good point. Use the resources you have available to you. And like Alicia said, this is just this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is like where we start. So um, I'm curious what you all would say around like some of the other components of the application of things our students should be keeping in mind, um, maybe around extracurriculars or, you know, things that folks are are having to put into their application. What do you guys think? Yeah, for extracurriculars, I feel like it's so important for people to be thorough and think about not only the activities that they've been a part of, but think about the activities that they've had an impact in. Um, and one of the biggest do's is on the common application or um, other applications, you should definitely list your extracurriculars in order of importance and impact. So a lot of times I'll have students that list things that maybe aren't the most important first. And, um, you know, first impressions are lasting. So an admissions officer, when they open up your extracurricular profile, you want to wow them from the gate. You want to talk to them about the thing that you are the most proud of and that has had an impact in your community or your school. So that's one do I'll definitely mention, starting with the most important elements first. Yeah, I think that's that's really, really important. I, I think a lot of students slide through that, Danielle. I think they kind of almost like just like start writing and they don't really think about what they're writing down and they don't go back and reorder them. So I think that's a really, really good tip. I think similar to that one, I would ask students to think about why you're doing the thing that you are listing. <laughs> so if you are, let's say you're in a sport for four years. Now, I'm not an athletic person, so please take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> but <laughs> if you did a sport for four years and I asked a student, like, why did you do that? And some of them have really great reasons. And so I would want you to kind of think about that when you're choosing how you talk about it. I think one of the things that my students have struggled with a lot is keeping it under, it's like something ridiculously short, like 150 characters or 50 words or something. Um, and it's just hard. So if you can understand the why behind what you did, it might help you um, to elaborate on the description. So if you're a leader in a club, why? What did you get to do as that leader? What, what impact did you have, like Danielle said? So, yeah, I think that short response can be really stressful uh, because students don't always realize, oh, I had to say this in like a sentence. Yeah. And I think another don't around that is they don't need to reiterate 
pieces that are already asked in the Common App. So the Common App will say, what's the name of the organization? It would also say, what's your position? It will say, what years did you participate and how many hours? So normally when I'm going through and um, helping students edit their Common App pieces, I'm like, you don't need to say, I was the president of this club. You just told us in the, um, yeah. the fields above that you're the president of this club. Go right into the why. Go right into the impact because you both know when we're reading applications, it comes up on a, a pretty small screen and we see those fields automatically pulled out of the application in a very readable way. So students don't need to be repetitive about what they're um, listening in that description. Absolutely. That's a really good point too, Danielle. I think too that students can think about extracurricular activities a lot more broadly than maybe they even initially think they can, um, especially with COVID. You know, we've seen an increase of students doing lots of different types of activities that they didn't used to do. And many of those are things that they might do from their computer. Um, so thinking about things like online, you know, online courses and learning a language through Duolingo or writing a novel, like whatever that might look like for the student. Um, however, they're spending their time. We want to make sure that that is reflected. I remember I was talking with a student recently and she was like, oh yeah, my free time. I was like learning sign language and whatever. And I was like, whoa, okay, hold on. That's really interesting. Let's make sure <laughs> that we like fit that into your application somewhere and that extracurricular activity space might be a place for that to go, depending on again, you know, where you've done that and how much, you know, to what degree you've, you've, you've learned that language. But, um, so yeah, I think that a lot of students get stuck in making sure that they're reporting like the, only the things they've done in school and, mm -hmm. A lot of that uh, is, um, well, a lot of that can be high impact and important. Um, not every student that we're going to see applications from um, or whose applications we're going to look at um, are going to be students that are, you know, community impact students. Um, that's like one type of student, but we tend to also see lots of students that are doing other things, maybe things they're doing independently, like research or learning a new language, et cetera. And so we just want to make sure that whatever, you know, whatever way students are spending their time, you know, as counselors, we want to make sure that they're reflecting all of those different aspects into their application. Um, yeah. Know, and, and so, yeah. and I would, I would piggyback off that and talk about family responsibilities. Yes, one of the coolest things, yeah. <laughs> one of the coolest things that I saw recently um, was in the school supplement uh, they said, we understand that students have lives and responsibilities outside of their school. Please check off everything that you do that takes up more than four hours a week. And the list was caretaker for a sick family member, um, babysitter for younger siblings, um, housework, cleaning. And I just thought that was not the most progressive thing that I've seen in the application, but such a refreshing change because these students have lives. They're um, like someone's child, someone's um, sibling. So I think for schools that don't have that option in the supplement, writing down family responsibilities can be a really big piece of the puzzle. For example, I met with a student recently and they had zero leadership in their school um, and no club involvement. And it wasn't until I read further down the essays, I discovered that um, she was uh, assisting her mother as she was going through chemotherapy for two years. And like, oh. that's such a big piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Otherwise, like, 
admissions officers may just think, oh, this person's not involved at all, but they're carrying a very heavy family burden there. So I think just making sure we have the full picture of how you're spending your time is another important do. I really, really appreciate that you brought that up, Danielle. One thing I always remember and think back to is something, I don't know who said this once, but it was like, if you don't tell an admissions officer they won't know. So you cannot make an assumption that they are just filling in the blanks for you. You also don't want to assume that your counselor or teacher is saying something that you assumed they would, unless I guess, unless they explicitly told you that they would do that. Um, but yeah, like that, that's a really good example, Danielle, that you brought up. If no one knows that your family member is going through chemotherapy, like how would the admissions officer know? So I love that you brought that up. And it also brings me to a don't that I wanted to mention some students go the opposite direction where they're like struggling with <laughs> saying that they're spending more time doing things than they really are. So Danielle, you brought up a student who almost doesn't have much to say. And then I have some students that are like, I do this 40 hours a week. And I used to ask them, do you realize that that's a full-time job? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I definitely don't want folks to embellish the time that you're spending because I remember reading applications and just kind of laughing and chuckling and saying, well, either they don't know how time works or <laughs> they are really <laughs> embellishing and that doesn't look good either. So either way, I would say take a step back, ask yourself, how much time are you actually spending? And I have also seen it the opposite direction where folks say, oh, it's only, only two hours a week. I'm like, well, what about all the planning time? What about um, the time you spend at home writing up proposals like that? So it can go in either direction, but I would definitely say take a step back and really think about the time. Don't go overboard, but also don't undersell um, all the commitments that you've done. Yeah, so I think we sort of talked a little bit about how some of these pieces come up through essays. Do we want to talk a little bit about some do's and don'ts with essays? This is such a big piece of the application. I feel like this is the one time where the true voice and thoughts of the students come through. Um, And this is probably what we spend a bulk of our time working on students with for our seniors, definitely. So Kim, do you have any thoughts around like essays, do's and don'ts? Yeah, and I don't know about the two of you, but I personally, as an admissions officer, this was my favorite part. Like the other pieces you can go through really quickly and the essay is really, like you said, Danielle, where you get to hear the voice. And so, um, but I also know on the student side, it can be one of the more stressful pieces. So I think my first piece of advice would be to definitely spend some time for the personal statement that everyone sort of agonizes over brainstorming. Like go through the prompts and see if anything prompts, you know, some ideas in your head or just start, you know, throwing ideas down on paper. I know everybody everybody kind of works in different ways, but a lot of students usually come in with a couple of ideas. What are some things that are impactful to you? What are, what are things that have been really pivotal in your life or a person or a place or a thing, you know, just kind of thinking, just dump everything down onto a piece of paper and, and maybe sit down with someone and um, go through them and find something that you would be excited to write about. I think a lot of students, um, I don't know if you all have experience, but a lot of my students are like, what do admissions officers want to read? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> we literally read thousands upon thousands of essays. There's not one thing I want to read. <laughs> so <laughs> just really spend time thinking where, what's the story that you can tell well that helps us get to know you. I totally agree with that. I think it's both sides. Right. I think it's, you know, what, um, you know, what does the student want to share? And then also what is the person reading about it, actually learning from them, uh, learning about them from the essay. And so sometimes the student might choose a topic that they're really excited about, um, you know, writing about. And then later we read it and then we're like, okay, wait, what, what is the 
what is the reader actually gleaning from this essay? Like what dimension or, you know, what new component is this adding to the application? And so it's both of those, it's both of those sides. It's not necessarily, you know, like you said, Kim, like um, we don't want students to write essays that they think that an admissions officer might enjoy reading because it's not about that, but it is also about making sure that um, whatever you, the student is choosing to write about is adding something to their application and that there is something to be learned or to be gained from that essay. Um, yeah. So it's both of those sides. It's really hard to balance that for sure. Yeah, I feel like the what I really love to hear and what to do is just their true personality and true voice coming out. Uh, recently, I read an application. Um, it was a common app essay. And I think it was the essay that says, talk to us about a community that you're a member of. And as I'm sure you both can attest to, we read so many essays around sports clubs and dance communities or cultural identities. And all of those are great, but the student made the choice to write an essay about how she's a waitress at a local diner and the personality she's she interacts with, the relationship she's formed, how she sees the world differently through that. And I thought that was the most refreshing essay ever because sometimes students feel like they have to write about something magnificent to make it impact with an admissions officer. But I used to always say some of the most impactful essays could just be taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary through your own lens. And that student did it so well. So I really appreciate not the grand gestures that some people write about, but just the everyday components that really give us an in insight into who they are as a student. Yeah, ultimately, I think that's a really good point, because I feel like these are the way that folks are getting to know what you might be like in the classroom and as a dorm mate in a club. And so if you're only focusing on what, like you said, Danielle, why you're like the most amazing person um, in your community, that's not so relatable all the time. So I'm not mm -hmm. saying that that's not necessarily something you should consider, but I think like you said, Danielle, don't shy away from topics that just let your personality shine. I think that that's totally fine. I have a student who um, really wanted to write about an academic interest. And I said, well, that, that's wonderful, but that's what the supplemental essays are for. And so let's take the personal statement as a chance, like you said, Alicia, before to unravel another piece of you, like you're really creative and artistic. And I don't think that comes across as easily in your application. So why don't we write about that? And the essay ended up really beautifully done. And I feel like it displayed a whole new dimension of that student. So yeah, I think that it can be really fun once you get past like the stressful part of what to write about. Yeah, I think that that goes along the same lines of like thinking about topics and choosing a topic for an essay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you do choose to write about someone else or, you know, a singular experience that you've had, just making sure that, again, we're learning about you by the end of that essay, which can be really hard to do. Um, so that's the most important thing about the personal essay is that it's personal. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that space for you to like be a little bit more vulnerable, maybe be a little bit more open. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Can we talk about how fun some of these prompts have become too? I feel like in reading this past season for some of our um, students through our IBY's roundtable process, the short answers have gotten so fun. Like some of the questions are, what's your favorite snack? And um, what's the soundtrack of your life? And I was like, these are things I would love to read about after going through thousands of applicants. So I think that now's a time where colleges do want to know more about that fun personal side of students and if you're able to let your personality show through those I feel like that's really what could kick it out of the park um, or hit it out of the park in some situations as well yeah absolutely I think the the supplement essays are so funny Danielle like they can range from like you said like quirky little questions like you described or like super technical tell us (laughs) why you want to why you want to study biomedical engineering yeah so it just the range is really funny and I think it can be stressful for students so what I would say on this is to read the prompts like I will admit that for personal statements I don't necessarily read the prompts all that closely but for supplemental essays the short answers like Danielle's describing please read the prompt because I feel like um, you may completely miss the point of what the question was asking and always try to redirect it back to the college when appropriate. So for example, if it says, what's something you can't wait to learn in the future, take that as what can't you wait to learn at X college? Um, Because it's often maybe the way that the college is trying to gauge your interest as well. I don't know what you guys think. I think those questions can be fun and sometimes a little stressful because there's so many of them. Yeah. I would say that's one of my biggest don'ts. I see like with the volume of uh, school students are applying to, they start to get writer's fatigue and they want to copy and paste their essay for every single school because the prompts sound similar. But even if they're similar in the sense of you want to talk about academics in general, these schools have some different ways of phrasing it and some different nuances in the prompts. So when a student tries to take one academic essay and apply it to all 10 schools, it's going to fall really flat because it's not going to feel specific to that school. And I always like to say the common app is who the students are today, but the supplemental school specific question should be, who will you become on on that specific campus? And if you do a general one of, I really love um, women's studies and I want to be an advocate for women's rights on your campus. That's going to fall flat. You need to say at Penn, I know you have the Women's Center and the Center of Locust Walk and you do the Take Back the Night uh, Walk. And I want to participate in that. You have to be so detailed that these schools would never in 100 years imagine that you would be applying early to um, or have another school as your first choice. That's how detailed each of these essays have to be. If you copy and paste, you're not going to achieve that same level of detail. Yeah, I think that that just is a further further point to spend as much or like not spend as much time as you can, but allocate your time well so that you can do that. Because I think you're right, Danielle, a lot of students are applying to often the number of colleges can be overwhelming. And so if you if each college has two essays and you're applying to 20 colleges, that's that could be up to 40 or more essays. And so. Mm You need to either reduce the number, which I highly recommend, or um, at least space it out with enough time so that you can do those those essays. Because otherwise, you're just like Danielle said, sending essays that will not help you stand out. And you just either spent time and money 
and your chances kind of go down because they can really read, read, read between the lines and tell that, oh, this student probably sent this into five more schools and they're probably not that interested in me. So, yeah, the why the why essays or the, the prompts that do seem a little bit more specific to the colleges definitely need to be well researched. Colleges are looking for that. That's one way that they can actually gauge if you're interested or not. What are y'all's thoughts on optional essay prompts? Are they are they optional truly or are they really required? <laughs> really required. What do you think, Danielle? You know, I'm kind of the opposite where it's required if you can say something, but uh -huh. I, I meet with so many students where they have nothing additional to say. And I yeah. feel like that may be a sign of a really strong application too. Like uh -huh. if you are able to fit in so many pieces of your identity to the common app and so many pieces of your intellectual interest to the school supplement and your resume is tight and your common app activity looks, looks great. Sometimes I think we're finished, but I do understand that there are reasons where the optional essay should be like not required, but it, it's a strong pull for our applicant. That's a good point. I think it really depends on the question. Um, if it's sort of open-ended and you can kind of fill in whatever, or or if it's already, if the question is so similar to your personal statement, then yeah, don't do it. But I think often they are actually, tell us about the community that you love or tell us why you want to apply to this college. Sometimes the why college essay is optional. And I would definitely- Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the um, optional common app essay where it says explain anything else that's not in your application. Yes, I agree. All the school supplemental ones are, you should fill those out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what you said- I actually kind of agree with you though, Danielle, because yeah. <laughs> even if you were talking about that, I do kind of agree with you because I don't think they're necessarily required if the student is not going to be able to say something that's worthwhile in that space. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like if I we have brainstormed, you know, mm -hmm. day and night and we, you know, the student is struggling to come up with something to put in this, like, you know, respond, the optional question about like sharing your perspective on something and they just <laughs> can't think of anything. I mean, I would rather that they opted to choose not to answer that question um, because they're not going to be adding something there that, you know, adds value and that is authentic. Right. Um, than trying to just come up with something random just to put in that space, you know? So nice. I don't know. I think it cuts both ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it sounds like we're saying it depends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can put time, energy, and thought, go for it. And if it comes across, like you said, Danielle, before, if it comes across as like repetitive, please don't do it. Like it's not going to add anything. Nice. So what do we think about recommendations? What are some do's and don'ts around that area? I think that's the part where Phil's, the most out of a student's control, right? Because most people are signing the consent to not see the letters. You can't tell what the person's writing. So what are your thoughts around the recommendation letters? I would say like, first and foremost, just make sure you're meeting the requirements of wherever it is that you're applying. So if you're applying to, again, I'm gonna use engineering as an example, but if you're applying to as an engineering applicant and they you know the place you're applying to requires a letter from a math or a science teacher, make sure that one of those letters is from a math or a science teacher super important. Um, but if there's not a requirement, you know, that that letter comes from a teacher that's taught you in a specific subject area, I think the most important, you know, do's with recommendations are, you know, choose a teacher that has really gotten to know you well, either from your contributions in the classroom, or they've gotten to know you through like another aspect, in addition to teaching you, right, but they've also gotten to know you as, you know, your mentor for your extended essay, or they've sponsored your club, or they coach the debate team as well. 
well and they've like gotten to know you in that aspect so that they can they can really reflect on the ways that you'll you'll add to the community more broadly yeah alicia i think that that this this point for me tends to be really um salient because i feel like particularly in this time right after we were all quarantined for so long and it was difficult to get to know teachers this can feel really hard and i, I don't know if you all have noticed this but some of the students that i work with feel a different type of social pressure that they're not as comfortable getting to know their students or excuse me their teachers so what i would definitely say is that that may be something you want to start working on depending on what grade the, you are listening to this right now like start getting more used to that start getting practice with it because if you don't have someone that is an advisor to something else that you do you just may have to build a genuine relationship with an adult <laughs> and that, <laughs> that sounds daunting, but it's a, such a good skill to have and it will really go beyond just college applications. This is going to go for internships that you do, for jobs that you do, for friends that you make. And so I would definitely just encourage all of you listening to really you know, take this part seriously, if not for college, which is, you know, a small part of life, but really for generally, I would just say it's a really good thing to practice and um, yeah, I think COVID may have made this even more challenging for us, but I know that that this is possible and uh, I would just encourage you guys to get out of your shells. And like I said, it, it is challenging, but I believe that you guys could do it. Yeah, 100%. I think that's such a good point. Um, I always advise my students just spend a few minutes after class if you're able just talking to them about uh, talking to your teachers about current events that may relate to it pop your head while you're walking past their classroom i know i did that a ton in high school with my latin teacher and we formed a relationship to the point where where i was uh when i was a leader on penn's campus um I invited him to come speak to that classroom and he came four years after I was even in his classroom. So things like that, just like Kim is saying, uh, Kim is saying it will build a relationship with teachers and you want to be able to build those same sort of relationships with professors on campus. And um, I think the more you talk to teachers as well, the more they'll know your interest and they'll be able to write a letter that's not generic. And that's the biggest do I would have for students around recommendation letters is talk to your recommenders about your interest. Because some of the strongest letters I've seen are ones that not only talk about a student's performance in the classroom, but connected back to their interests and how they think they could contribute to the college campus um, as a whole. Um, I think one essay when I was working at Penn, they called the student a a mover and a Quaker. And I was just like, that was just a cute little phrase, but they just <laughs> talked about how they were such a great fit for Penn. And it just felt like, okay, this person actually knows the student and they can see them on our campus. So let me start to think about seeing them on our campus too. I love that. That's such a good example. And I think um, it kind of speaks to a don't that I have, which is don't go overboard. So I don't know about you all, but I was an over ambitious, overzealous <laughs> high school student. And I think I thought at the time that more letters meant more kudos and more, you know, great, great things said about me. And it would only help my chances. And as I became an admissions officer and saw, oh, no, 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 if, if, they only, if they're only asking for two, they probably only want two. And you should be very judicious if you were to ask for additional letters, because we have to read so many documents every day. And if the letters are repetitive, it's not not helpful. So like Danielle said, 
not only do we want to see uh, authentic letters as as possible and steering away from generic, we also don't want 10 generic letters. <laughs> so definitely don't force more letters than you than you are required and only get extra uh, optional letters if they truly add something different. And so usually I would say that's not you not not probably not going to be a teacher. That's probably a research mentor or an internship coordinator or something else that provides a different lens. Um, but yeah, more is not better when it comes to recommendations. Yeah. And it's definitely not going to be uh, the family friend that you never met, you never interned with, but happens to be a very high up alum from the school. Yes. <laughs> Those types of letters, they provide nothing whatsoever because if they don't know you, they're just writing right. about their own connections with the school. Um, so I would definitely say or a, a lot of times we may see letters from high up politicians or people like that. Um, and unless they can provide a really close perspective on who you are as a person, um, it's it's not worth adding that as a letter. Agree. Yeah. So speaking of other people's perspective on the students, I think one of our last areas is going to be talking about interviews. Um, and I'll kick this off with a, a very general do. Um, I believe that if a school offers an optional interview, it's it tends to be um, a good thing to request those interviews. There's been many times where I was in a committee room with the dean of admissions and we were on the fence completely with a student and he would stop and say, what does the interview say about them? Um, and we would go into the interview. And I think the beauty of being a, an alum of an institution is that you know that culture really deeply. You know what type of student would thrive on the campus. So if an alum is able to interview you and speak to how you're fit for that culture, that committee room may listen um, a little bit closer or give it a closer look because not everyone in that committee room is probably um, an alum of that school. So I think those interviews can be particularly helpful, but I'm interested in hearing from both of you around, are there times where it's not helpful or are there times where you recommend not doing the interview or any other do's or don'ts? I would just say, I mean, you know, very important, of course, to, to, to be prepared and to know, okay, this is a really important thing I would say. I know we always say be prepared, know things about the college, have your questions ready for the, you know, for the alum, but also don't forget like what you put into your application. Um, I say that because I remember I've read interview reports in the past where a student wouldn't be able to explain like what they did their Girl Scout gold project on. Mm. Um, and it would just not align, right. It would not align with what was in the application. So while the, the interviewer doesn't have any information about your application at all, generally, except for like what high school you go to and what you, you know, what your academic interests might be. Um, the admissions officer who's going to be reviewing your application is going to see the whole thing and the whole picture. So you want to make sure that whatever you're sharing and articulating in your interview, right. Is honest, is authentic and aligns with what you've said in your actual application. That is very important. Um, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say, Alicia. Yeah. I was going to say, do reacquaint yourself with your application. Yes. <laughs> I also, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but some of my students apply to one college under one major and another college under another major. And not because uh -huh. they're not equally interested in both, like they genuinely are. And some colleges are a better fit for one versus the other. And so you don't want to forget what major you chose. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely please reread your application before the, before the interview. And I would also say, don't stress, like, 
while these are tips that we're trying to give you to do to do well in this process, they're people and they're excited about their college. They're excited that you applied to it. And to your question, Danielle, I would I don't think there's a case where I would say don't do it. I think unless there's a good reason not to in terms of like your schedule or you're not feeling well. I would say it's always a good opportunity to get to know the college better for the college to get to know you. And I think they, my interviews when I was in high school, granted long time ago, were a lot of fun and I really enjoyed the process. Um, so any last do's or don'ts before we wrap up this podcast? I think one general one that I, it may sound silly, but a lot of students don't go back and double check their work. Um, and again, that sounds like something everyone might think, oh, I know that, but maybe in the heat of the moment you forget. So I would say reread everything. Um, on the Common App, you can click preview mode, which I think is really helpful because it lets you see the application from the perspective of an admissions officer. And, that, and sometimes the formatting looks really different. And so while an admissions officer is never going to, you know, take points away from you because it's bolded here and not bolded there or italicized here and not italicized there, it, it is something that is sounds small, but like my eyes get tired after a while. <laughs> and so if you can just go back and just look for those small things, it just makes it a little easier on, on the person reading. So that's just like a super general tip that I would say some students don't think to go back and do. Yeah, I would think uh, my last don't is don't flood your application with additional materials that aren't pertinent. Mm -hmm. Um Kim, I don't know if you remember this when we were in the admissions office together. We would get some wild things in the mail, yes. like cardboard cutouts, <laughs> random art projects for people that weren't even art majors. So for that, although it can be endearing at times, you don't have to like oversell your application. You worked really hard over the last four years. So just let your common app and or school specific application speaks for themselves. That would be my, my last closing. Don't. My close, my last closing do is um, just do the best that you can to try to get started on all these things early. <laughs> I know that all counselors say that, but um, the rush at the last minute is not fun for you students. And it's also not fun for counselors. It's, it puts the stress <laughs> on everyone. And so I think that one of the greatest benefits of, you know, getting your essays done early, submitting your applications early and all those things, um, you know, is, is getting it done, but also giving yourself a period of time where you can like finish it and then look back at it a couple of weeks later is, is really refreshing because then you have some time to let it sit you might even have forgotten what you wrote about and then you get to come back to it, review it again with like fresh eyes and see if it's really articulating everything you want. You know, you want your essays to say, make sure your, your extracurricular list is, is tight and includes everything. Um, but just having that extra time to be able to walk away from it and then come back to it, I think can be really helpful for a lot of students. So do those things early. Absolutely. I will second that. <laughs> and I'll give that a third too. <laughs> so I think that just about wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into the Just Admitted um, podcast. You can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions landscape. In our next episode, we're going to share some insight 
on what makes a strong STEM student and what makes a strong pre-med student. So if you have any questions about being STEM or pre-med, email them to us at podcast at ivywise.com so we can try to address your most pressing questions. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more higher ed resources. And thank you to everyone that's been on this podcast. 